<clears throat> rolling. Extra, extra. This just in. Welcome, Welcome to, to Uncover, Uncover Girl. Girl, the podcast that unpacks the most memorable celebrity profiles of all time. We're your hosts, Ivana Ryder and Beatrice Hazelhurst. Ready to unravel and review every culture-defining A-list interview. With the help of writers, industry experts, and even the talent themselves. Journalism might be dying, but you better believe the celebrity profile lives on. Meet America's hottest import. It's Margot Robbie on the cusp of superstardom. We're covering sex scenes with Leo. Summertime sadness. And some pre-Me Too chaos. Maybe you've already read it, but you heard it here first. Welcome back. Welcome back. How are you? I'm good. I've been running around frantically. I just feel like errands, like, we're, yeah. well, we're both traveling in a few days. Yes. And so as a result of that, yeah. you're just taking a carry on. So you can't yeah, have just a backpack liquids. spirit. No, yeah. No liquid spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm keeping Ooh. it to a backpack, but I actually have a hack. This is um something for all our listeners out there who fly spirit. I bought a travel pillow that goes around your neck, which is something I never use. Yeah. But then I've taken out the stuffing <gasps> and I've stuffed it with more clothes. Genius. So I have a backpack and like a little sack that I'm wearing around my neck filled Did, with clothes. Did like TikTok teach you that? Or yeah. Is it? Okay. Of course. No, okay. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could credit the young woman who showed me that, but I did it, I saw it, and now I'm bringing like 65 outfits in a backpack. Are you excited for Europe? Yeah, I'm taking <laughs> two carry-ons. Two carry-ons? A large suitcase. Yeah, I'm oh, good. taking it all. No, of course. Yeah. And I also want copious space. For no- shopping. Oh, nothing stresses me out more than having a, a airport to unpack, repack, no. wait situation. I've done it many times. I refuse to keep doing it. No. I'm going to bring, I'm going to pay for the space. I'm growing up. I will pay for the extra carry-on. Absolutely. You've bought yourself peace of mind and that is priceless. Okay. So what? Our, inter- <laughs> our, our interview question. What has been inspiring you? Okay. So this week it's actually, it's a two. It's, it's, a, two a, it's a part one and two. Okay. Love it. Part one, Nordstrom Cafe. Because I had a absolutely gorgeous evening there with <laughs> seven friends. I made a reservation for seven at the Nordstrom Cafe in the Grove. There's I, a cafe within the Nordstrom. Oh, Oh my goodness. I've never, I've like literally oh. never heard of this. The Nordstrom Cafe is a utopia. The food is spectacular. Also, I know it's not just me because I've spoken to a lot of like young women that grew up in the US, but Nordstrom Cafe was like the one place where like mother-daughter relationships could heal because it was like, I I cannot tell you how many fond memories I have and like friends of mine have and like all, I've like bonded with so many people of like, do you remember when your mom, it was like the one day she took you shopping and then she'd take you to the Nordstrom Cafe for lunch and like, it is luxury, it is everything. Wait, what is the cuisine? Soups and salads and sandwiches. Okay. It's very, very cute. It's, uh, they have a great tomato soup, so I highly recommend recommend love and then i saw don't worry darling after and that um was is, that, is that the second part of your yes. inspiration second part of inspiration is don't worry darling a movie with a trailer that really rocked us all when it came out and then the actual film is just a mess i can't believe it happened my thesis is a great trailer maketh for a bad movie yes oh and, yeah but i keep getting sucked in every time key points takeaways don't worry darling I, yeah, a movie has never quite rocked my soul quite like that one. No. Um, I cannot believe it got made. And released. And released. Yeah. 
and had a full press tour with many different cover stories. Everyone got their roses in the lead up to that film's release. Yeah. And then truly crickets. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Understandable because it's just a mess. I don't think anyone watched it before they released it is really what it feels like. Yeah. It's like the scenes were all shot and it was like, there's some real potential here. We've really created a world here. And then like, no one watched that the final thing. Harry horribly miscast. I know. Just giving us nothing. And Florence trying to give us yeah. something. A lot of, I mean, honestly, mostly I was just like, I loved her hair. I loved the little bow. Yeah. Now I want a little bow for my hair. And that's really what I left the movie thinking about. Like none of the plots or themes at all stuck. Well, there are a lot of just kind of missing parts. Yeah. Like there's this motif of the plane, which I don't think there's any spoiler alert because it's on the movie poster. It's in the trailer. And then it doesn't really relate to anything whatsoever. No explanation for it. No. Yeah. Yeah, What did you think of it? I I spent the first hour laughing. Yeah. Like I couldn't take it seriously. And then I think my friend and I stopped talking around the one hour in Mark. Okay, it's spicing up. Mm -hmm. But like, what's going on? And it just was kind of downhill from there in that it seems like we were on a journey and we were going somewhere and then it abruptly stopped. And I got like the commentary, I got the message, like, of course, in cell culture and the regression of women, Mm -hmm. you know, all very Handmaid's Tale-esque. I find it funny that Olivia Wilde really thought she was like kind of saying something. And I was like, but this is really being said. Yeah. It's not a like a new conversation. It's not asking interesting questions that haven't already been asked in a lot of high quality entertainment Mm -hmm. already. Yeah. Yeah. It was just insane. Like it was actually just insane. The jump to the future with Harry and the like the stained wife beater. No, the it, greasy hair. Yeah. And why is a gamer guy with a surgeon? Yeah. But they're making no money in the Like ER? a high power surgeon? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think that that was the, the main takeaway for me is that I left with so many questions that just didn't exist in the script. Yeah. Like they just, there were just no answers to be had. It wasn't that we, you needed to dig a little deeper or look in the right places. Mm-mm. The answers just truly didn't exist. They were never there. But then why did no one else ask the questions? Like there's got to be some sort of PA on set being like, wait, wait, we never wait explained a damn minute. This. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. All of it. All it of makes it. sense that all the junkets and the like Venice coverage was such a mess. Yeah, no one could agree on a tone. Yeah. No one could agree on if they were, like, proud of the film or embarrassed by the film. Yes. What's inspiring you? Two things. I broke my iPhone. I've never broken a phone. I've cracked a phone, but it's always Mm -hmm. been usable, and I've gone on to use it for the next three years. But I really, like, I just decimated this phone, and I went to get a new one, and it cost me $58 to replace it, (gasps) which was mind-blowing. Wow. Because I had Apple Care. But $58? Does that not seem insane? Because I'm pretty sure they cost, like, $2,000 now. Yeah. No, totally. Like an iPhone is. Yep. I just couldn't believe when they quoted me. $58. And but this is also a two-parter at my time at the mall. I went to Zara, Ugh. Zara International, international, yeah. <laughs> international retailer, yeah. and I bought a skirt and it was a escort shorts built in. And I was checking out, and the woman said, "These skirts just keep getting shorter," and I truly am loving it. I am enjoying the return of the micro mini. Me too. Yeah, and she affirmed it for me. 
Uh, which I appreciated. But what a weekend at the mall for the two of us. I know. It really, it's an amazing place. The it is a source culture. of inspiration. Yeah. Did it, you go to the Grove too? Yeah, of course. Oh, <laughs> wow. It's like Paris in there. If anyone's unfamiliar with the Grove but has watched the hills, it's where Lauren and Heidi go with their boyfriends to experience like fake snow at Christmas time. Stop. I forgot about this. Yeah. It's the closest like LA comes to like a cultural experience, really. Yeah. Speaking of Americana and girl next door culture, welcome to the summer of Margot Robbie. And this profile ran in Vanity Fair in 2016 and the covers i would say pretty iconic patrick de marchelier shot her on like a yacht or like a sailboat it seems like not a yacht a sailboat i think very east coast old money america was the assignment totally okay 100 and this profile it ran online july 4th weekend oh yeah it was like so fully leading in yeah even though she is australian she's australian (laughs) i'll read the opening of this because i feel like it really paints the picture this like america meets australia sort of theme that's kind of woven throughout the article that was really confusing to me as a as a jump off point yeah but also the fact that i am from new zealand and she is australian and there's definitely alignment between the two countries and how we perceive America and our romanticization of America. So it all weirdly fits and crosses over. But I'm so interested to hear you as a Canadian, but also like an Eastern European immigrant. Raised in America. Yeah, and raised now we're in both America. Here. I'm interested to, to hear your take. Okay, so this is how the article opens. America is so far gone, we have to go to Australia to find a girl next door. In case you've missed it, her name is Margot Robbie. She is 26 and beautiful. Not in that otherworldly catwalk way. She is blonde, but dark at the roots. She is tall, but only with the help of certain shoes. She can be sexy and composed, even while naked, but only in character. And as I said, she's from Australia. To understand her, you really have to think about what that means. Australia is America 50 years ago. Sunny and slow, a throwback, which is why you go there for throwback people. Okay, I don't want to assume that he hasn't been to Australia, but this very much reads like someone who hasn't been to Australia. (laughs) The fact that it's not America from 50 years ago at all. In a lot of ways, it's, I think, more advanced with America, especially when it comes to things like fashion, food, coffee, like culture in general. I think it where it is regressive can be politically, but then not more so than America. So I actually don't know. What it's getting I at. I don't know what No, it's, it's very helpful at. to have you here as someone who, like, knows it better than I, and I feel like probably most of our listeners. Yeah. Your sister lives there. My sister lives there. But yeah. the stereotype of everyone is just walking around barefoot on the beach, yeah. which happens, I guess, in any beach town. But the whole country is not a beach. It's huge. Yeah. And in this profile, she actually addresses some of those stereotypes because she talks about how she actually really doesn't like to talk about her upbringing because she actually did have kangaroos outside of her window and like snakes in her house and how she's like, I just feel like it contributes to this stereotype that like we were all running through the fields with our kangaroo pets. Yes. When that's like absolutely not the lived experience of most Australians. A hundred percent. And to give you kind of, I would say like a little bit of a zoom out, Margot Robbie in 2016, it was a huge year for her, actually. She was in two major blockbusters, in Suicide Squad mm. as Harley Quinn, and then she was also in Legend of Tarzan as Jane. And um, she was also in another film, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. And the she Tina was, Fey movie, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then she was filming I, Tanya and getting ready to do that oh. with Lucky Chap. So it's like, she is 
immensely busy at this time. Lucky Chap is... Her production company. Got it. Yeah. So this was like material that she was bringing to the table and she played Tanya Harding, a figure that America absolutely loves to hate. And she would go on to be nominated for so many awards for it. Big things are happening. When was Wolf of Wall Street? 2013. Oh, yeah. It was years before. Yes. So Wolf of Wall Street um, comes out in 2013 and it was like absolutely huge. Mm. Marco Robbie was in very much a newcomer at the time. Mm. And she was just launched immediately because of how stunning she was in the film and funny and brilliant. And she just like did an incredible job with that part that could have so easily been like very surface level, but she just brought so much like zeal to the role. Um, And it makes so much sense that Martin Scorsese saw that in her. Basically, so that movie comes out, then she's cast in the big short as like a bit part. Um, If you remember that. That's right. She's in the bath. She's in the bath. Yeah. And so it's funny though, how quickly that comes after where that's like came a couple years after Wolf of Wall Street. And at that point, Margot Robbie's already a household name because everyone is just like, oh, she is the hottest thing in the world. Yes. And the writer of this Vanity Fair profile, uh, Rich Cohen, clearly agrees. He's an author, mostly. He has like a series of New York Times bestsellers. And he also co-created the HBO series Vinyl. And he co-created that with Martin Scorsese and Mick Jagger and Terrence Winter. Reading this, he weaves himself in so often. Yes. Which is interesting. It's an interesting tactic for a writer. I, I've only kind of done that when... I feel like the experience or the like the connection between the two of us has been so unique that it reveals a lot about them to to talk about kind of how they treated me. Totally. But for him it felt like a little bit unnecessary, but I'm sure we'll get to it. Yeah, it was a lot of like this is how it felt to like witness Margot Robbie walk into a room and walk out of a room. Yes. And that's sort of how the article opens and closes. She smiles at me. Yeah. And it's like, I think she just smiles. I don't think she like smiles at In you. a sort of way. Yes. Yeah. I assume he's older. I assume he's kind of in his 50s or something. And she's probably what at this stage? Like 26. 26? Yeah, she's 26. Okay. So yeah. big age gap. They meet at like a buzzy hotel lobby, like restaurant with like a celeb spot. And he says, quote, I don't remember what she was wearing, but it was simple. Her hair combed around those painfully blue eyes. Which mostly I just pulled out because I think it's so funny to describe someone's eyes so blue that they're painful. Can I ask you like a personal question? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's been a shift away from this type of profile where it's kind of the middle-aged white man profiling the hot new actress toward a kind of a likeness and a similarity in background. So like a, a Rihanna or a Meghan Markle will be profiled by a black woman. What do you think of that? A contrast of experience or a, a shared experience? I think that there is so much there's so many richer stories coming out of the shared experience Mm -hmm. model because i think that you can talk about things like in a way that actually like are your lived experience and you can ask questions in a way more like fearless and substantive way yes there's a relatability built in and i think it's just important one because it like gives a platform to both parties in some way like Mm -hmm. absolutely those big assignments a rihanna cover story or a Meghan markle cover story should be going to young black women that feels so right you know queer rising stars it's such a big deal that the writers can understand and ask things intelligently versus just like a really really basic question about what's it like being queer 
Because reading this, it felt like there was nothing that they could have together to jump off of. Yeah. It just felt very distant and removed. That's not to say that, to my earlier point, that you always need to be interviewed by someone who is exactly like you or has the exact same value system or is really aligned in terms of identity. But I think it's helpful when there's some sort of crossover, any kind of crossover. Yeah. This is really, there is none. It's kind of like a boomer guy interviewing a 26-year-old girl from Australia Yeah, in a New York hotel. This is like probably Margot Robbie's most loyal audience, men in their like 30s to 50s who like saw her in Wolf of Wall Street and were like, damn. Um, And so he really speaks for the everyman here when he's like, her smile. She's sexy but attainable. Yes, totally. That's her superpower. Yes, yes. Dark at the roots. Uh, yeah, she's dark an at obvious the roots. bottle blonde. I know. <laughs> we as men now respect. Yeah. No, exactly. But only yeah. if we know your real hair color. Yeah. And we know what we're getting ourselves into. Exactly. <laughs> Just be honest. Yeah. Just be honest. <laughs> that all said, he does clearly try to like get to know her as a person. He is talking about how, like, you know, there's always a a story that's being crafted, especially with a rising star. Everyone is trying to define like who this person is. And in 2016, the emerging storyline was that she is maybe a famous woman who doesn't want to be famous. And she wasn't really taken by the whole celebrity thing. And the way that she responds when he asks her, are you the famous woman who doesn't want to be famous? She says, quote, it's true to an extent, but it's not the thesis of me as a person. When you put it as a thesis, it seems like the only question on my mind. But it's just one of the questions. One of the things I wonder. How would things be different if I'd made different choices? And she, like, clearly worked very hard for her fame. She was a child theater kid, loving performing, not really realizing that Hollywood was attainable in any way growing up in Australia. She grew up in... Uh, Gold Coast, which is on Australia's Pacific Shore, and it's like 500 miles north of Sydney. So by no means in like a huge city. Yeah, to give you some context on the Gold Coast, I, I, I'm going to try and compare it to somewhere in America. It's kind of like the Jersey Shore. You've heard the word bogan, I'm assuming? No. It's like a softer version of, I guess, white trash. It's very brash, kind of vulgar. We use it in New Zealand as well. Gold Coast is known for having kind of like a lot of bogans, but like beach bogans. It's not, it lacks the refinement of a Sydney or a Melbourne, but this is the context of where she's from. It is beautiful, beachy, blondness, the hottest people you've ever seen, but also quite like rough around the edges, I guess I would say. And yeah, from there, she sort of tracks down a producer for this popular Australian soap opera at the time, Neighbors, and like calls and calls and calls and calls until she's like, please meet with me. And then it just so happens that they were casting for a 17-year-old girl and she was 17 at the time. And so they cast her in this part um, where she plays this like talkative young girl and she was memorizing like 60 pages of scripts a day because they were shooting every day. Soap operas are like a sprint marathon combined. It's like absolutely insane what you're like asked to do. And Australian soap operas were very popular at the time. And a lot of other stars went that track. There was Naomi Watts. There was 
I think Russell Crowe, Guy Pierce, Heath Ledger, Chris Hemsworth, all of these people Heath got their Ledger, start. Heath Ledger, I forget about. I know. He, on the soaps. On Home and Away, maybe? Maybe. Maybe he was on Neighbours. There's two. Yeah. Home and Away and Neighbours were the two big ones. There's a UK soap that is everyone watches in New Zealand, and we watched Home and Away and Neighbours from Australia, and then the UK watches... Home and Away and Neighbours as well. So it's wow. this weird Commonwealth connection of everybody watching each other's soaps. So do you remember her? Th- that's the thing. There are so many Australians are so hot as a people, objectively blessed. So there's just a lot of pretty girls to like come and go. So I don't really remember, like she didn't make a big impact on me acting wise, mm-hmm. but Home and Away, I specifically remember some of the actresses, like, putting them on my wall, like in Isabel Lucas. I think she also came to L.A. but didn't really make it. But the pipeline from those soaps to L.A. is a very well-worn track. Then they either come home or they stay, and they do moderately well. But, like, a K.J. Apper, he was oh, on yeah. a New Zealand soap opera. Of course. So he left Shorten Street, New Zealand soap opera, and got cast in Riverdale, I think, pretty much straight off the bat. No way. Yeah. But it's funny because they all are kind of embarrassed of their soap part. But it's like, dude, this really set you up. Yeah. And you worked so hard on that soap. Soaps are so hard. Yeah. And then at the point that she lands Wolf of Wall Street, the story goes that she went off script in the audition and slapped Leonardo DiCaprio across the face and then immediately got the part. The reviews are very funny in the way that they talk about Margot Robbie specifically. A.O. Scott wrote in the New York Times that her nakedness is offered to the audience as a special bonus. In The New Yorker, they talked about how her consonants alone floating away at the end of words deserved an Oscar um, in reference to her, like, incredible Brooklyn accent. Yeah. Variety wrote, this one is kind of rough. They described her as appealing Australian newcomer Margot Robbie, who deserved more screen time and engages in a particularly cruel form of cock blocking. It's like... Ew. Who, what, who fucking wrote that? I'll look that up, but yeah. it was Friday. And I think like, I'll, I mean, it was a big movie. So a lot of like the top critics, like A.O. Scott is like the top critic of the New York Times. Yeah, so of course yeah. he's the one reviewing it. Um, what, like horny. Yeah. And oh yeah, they're certainly all men. I know that there's been so much written about Scorsese's women and like the women he casts, but I feel like she is incredible and totally on par with like Kathy Moriarty and Raging Bull. Like she has like such an essence to her Mm -hmm. and such an energy in the movie and she just like when she's on screen you cannot help but be completely enamored with her so that was kind of her jump uh from the soaps to that and then now this profile is catching her as she's about to release two huge blockbusters into the world and this is actually a question for you so Rich asks her if the people back home are proud of her success the quote from the article is She thought a moment, then said, there's a thing in Australia called tall poppy syndrome. Have you heard of it? It's a pretty prevalent thing. They even teach it in school. Poppies are tall flowers, but they don't grow taller than the rest of the flowers. So there's the mentality in Australia where people are really happy for you to do well. You just can't do better than everyone else or they'll cut you down to size. And I had never heard of tall poppy syndrome. Is this something that like you're familiar with? Yeah, we, we were definitely taught it all throughout school. It's the concept of when you do well, people want to see you fail, which I think exists everywhere, but it's just, it's so strong. So things like sharing your success, being very visible. But yeah, I 
definitely suffer from tall poppy syndrome with regards to famous New Zealanders. They grind my gears like inexplicably. Really? Yeah. Which is so, and it's so irrational. Like, you know, it's just conditioning and it's learned, but there are certain people that are just, just great on me. And I'm sure like for me as someone who lives out of New Zealand and experienced minor success in an industry that also seems very difficult, there will be surely people from my high school that are just like, fuck that girl. Like she is so annoying. It's such, it's such a fucking thing. I bet, but I've never heard of an Australian talk about it to that extent. Yeah. Okay. That. That's so fascinating. You'd never heard the term. No, I had never heard the term. Okay. It's so interesting to hear you classify it as almost learned humility. Yeah. Um, and I mean, maybe that is part of the reason that she's so beloved in the industry. I mean, I've only heard positive things from like friends who are in film, who know her as like a boss and someone who is trying to like bring new talent into the industry feels like quite a weight to have on your shoulders where you know that everyone back home is probably judging you. I think you would just have to let it go. Like this has nothing to do with me because it doesn't really. No. It's just that it's such, it's so small and it's so far away from the epicenter of pop culture that to have succeeded among the million who have been wanting to do the same thing is just kind of annoying. Everyone's like, oh, here here she goes again, you know? And it was really ingrained. I do have one clear memory. I had a principal of my school pulled up like the head boy and girl and house captains, the the prefects. Yeah. The two kind of, they oversee the whole school, head boy and girl, and then the house captains, they head up all like the athletics and all that kind of stuff. And he pulled them up and was like, these are the tall poppies. They will be your bosses someday. Whoa. And it's it's that kind These of These are the tall poppies. These are the tall poppies. But the concept of poppies, I think, is none grow taller than each other. They yeah. all stay the same height. And I, th- I, I could be totally wrong. Like, this is just an insane urban myth that I have been taught. But I think they kind of pull each other down if one grows too tall. Mm-hmm. Like, they wrestle each other down. This, you're going to have to fact check me on this. <laughs> well, look I don't- at the etymology of tall poppies. Please. Interesting that she's bringing this up in the context of a Vanity Fair cover. Yeah. That is all I could think about. Yeah. She's like, wow, I I hate that I'm everywhere and people aren't proud of me because they see me everywhere and I know that I'm pissing them off because I'm everywhere, but here I am doing a Vanity Fair cover because who could possibly turn that down? Yeah. She's like covering a summer issue. She has blockbusters coming out. Yeah, she is the tall puppy. Also, this is interesting in the context of today with her, with Amsterdam bombing to the degree that it did. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's another movie I couldn't believe got made or was Whoa. made the way that it was. Yeah. It was just chaos. One of those films where it's like everyone is acting in a different movie. And then Margot Robbie is somewhere in the middle just kind of being hot. And then Taylor Swift, <gasps> who dies I totally immediately. Forgot. Oh my God, Taylor Swift. That was like a scene that was really hard to get through. I believe it. I mean, I've only seen her in Cats. Oh, that yeah. whole movie was hard to get I through. I never saw it. I never saw it. It was, it's a fever dream. <laughs> I I thought I hallucinated it after I left the theater, but I can't believe she's made her way back to the big screen. It must be so weird to be a non-actor. I thought about this with Harry and Don't Worry Darling as well. To be someone who's such a superstar and be so out of your comfort zone next to like, a Christian Bale or a Florence Pugh who is objectively at the top of the the heap, the top of their industry. Yeah. And just to be like, wow, I am sharing screen time 
with a pro it's like me getting in a ferrari <laughs> and like going around the racetrack and then being like you don't know what you're doing get out of the car yeah like, we have trained for this we have trained for this yeah yeah and margaret robbie is one that clearly has trained for this yes oh that's that sucks that that movie wasn't good i'll watch it still it and- lost a hundred million Oh. Lost Disney, 100 million. Wow. Sorry, that's, that's, that's a lot. A- oh, but that does feel like a good transition to this profile does what all of them do, where they interview others, like, you know, in Margot Robbie's world. Color. And they talk to the director of Tarzan, which I did not know, but it was like his life dream to make Tarzan the live action. Jerry Weintraub. And he was the producer, sorry. And he actually passed away when the film was in post-production. So he like never got to see the final thing. But he cast Margot as Jane. And he was so excited about it. Did you see that movie? I did not see okay. that movie. I did not see that movie. I think it... I'll see how it did. We can insert it. Yeah. <laughs> but Alexander Skarsgård ended up being Tarzan. So it's like very hot, just like two extremely gorgeous people. Yeah. Um, but before he was cast as Tarzan, um, this profile does reveal that Jerry believed that he had found Tarzan in Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer. And he was like, Oh my God, like this is going to be it. Like they're going to say, like, I found the new, like big thing. And then after seeing. Him, I don't even know if he like formally auditioned or whatever. Jerry, quote from the article, this isn't Tarzan. He's a goon. Why didn't anyone tell me he's a goon? Turn it off, goddammit. Turn it off. Oh, wait, that was because he was on SNL. Oh, Michael yeah. Phelps was on SNL. Right. And every, he was oh. just like, never mind, never mind, never, never mind. mind. I take it all back. Like, I, that was the horrible mistake. But also the idea of discovering a, a world famous celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just found him on the street. I, I know. just, <laughs> just <laughs> discovered in a mall. Pulled out of his hips. I just dragged him out of the water and onto the big screen. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been something. I actually would have, I would have gone to see that if Michael Phelps was Tarzan. Can you imagine? Like, I have no thoughts or feelings about Michael Phelps. I, who life. is he? He, yeah, he just has really long arms. And I mean, that's definitely what made him a great swimmer. He's he a great swimmer. He talked about cupping a lot. Yeah. 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 But then this guy, the producer of Tarzan, Jerry, he has this quote, which I absolutely love. He says, when I think of Margot Robbie, a single word comes to mind. Audrey Hepburn. It's two words. Which is fun because it's two words. <laughs> I absolutely love that. I'll never get enough of that. Rich, uh, the author of the profile, kind of takes the liberty and he's like, you know, in comparing Robbie to the classic movie stars, Jerry meant that she's big time bankable and elegant. Which, I mean, she is all of those things. She is all of those things. I just don't think she's an Audrey Hepburn. No, no. I don't think so either. That's like a very confusing, because she's not like, like a meek... A tiny, tiny, like fragile brunette. Yeah. Like she's a, she's, and not that Audrey Hepburn, like I think just physically she appeared that way. I think she was like a powerhouse, but she was also, she was like 80 pounds or something. Yeah. Like she was a ballerina. Like yes. her whole thing on the screen was, you know, the opposite of Marilyn Monroe. Who yeah. Was like this, like the bustly, sex pot. Yeah. yeah. Because Margot Robbie is the sex pot siren. Totally. Like she, I mean, she got her start being like full frontal in a Madame Scorsese film. Like she is the hot girl. Yeah. Whereas, like, Audrey, I think, was, like, the nuanced, delicate idea of femininity that needs to be protected. Yeah. But Margot was, like, she's she has range and she's willing to go there. And, yeah, I don't think we can really relegate her to being the fragile flower yeah. that is, like, an Audrey Hepburn. I, don't I, know. I agree. No, I totally agree. He kind of goes on to say that where 
he looks at Robbie in a new way and tries to see the Audrey Hepburn. And then he says, I quote, in her, Jerry may have seen a kind of lost purity, what we've given up for the excitement of a crass, freewheeling, sex-saturated culture. Mm -hmm. I don't know about the loss of purity part. I just hate when anyone brings up a woman's purity yeah. or like refers to nudity as like, this is unpure versus what's pure. Well, so this guy, if for someone who was born in like the 1960s, he really romanticizes the past, how he's obsessed with Australia being a America 50 years ago. I don't know. It's all very... I know. It's kind of drenched in nostalgia. Yes. Which just makes sense for where like America was at at this time. It, 2016 is when Donald Trump was elected. And there was a lot of talk of, like, getting back America, Being back to another again. time. Yeah. Be, yeah. <laughs> to quote the famous slogan on the hats. Not that I think that this is, like, a dog whistle to Trump supporters of, like, I hear you, and I also want to go back to the 50s. Yeah. But there's, like, clearly a nostalgia here that's, yeah. like, sort of permeates through the entire profile. This... American Girl Next Door, but she's from Australia, how she, like, reminds everyone of Audrey Hepburn, but not really because she's way more sexy and our culture is more sex-saturated. He also talks about that famous full frontal scene in Wolf of Wall Street where she goes home with our leading man, Leonardo DiCaprio, shout out to our first episode, and goes over to her house. He's married at the time, and she appears in a doorway completely nude the way that the article recounts it is quote where the duchess stands nude in the doorway turning slowly like a ferrari on a showroom platform a human remade by the late 20th century coked up cashed out and hung on the wall like a trophy funny you brought up ferraris here they are oh again my God. i know Go back to ferrari yeah but it really is like it's describing her especially in this film as like this thing that everyone observed that was like on this platform in its perfection yeah which is not inaccurate no like it she was just like an insanely primped and polished version of a woman that movie is any Fidei frat bros dream manifestation of the perfect life. And I mean, there's a reason that she just like skyrocketed after it. We, I don't think we'd seen that degree of hotness to his point plaited up like that in any kind of film. Like I, I feel like at 2016, we were taking a little bit of a turn away from that. It was very girls era. We were stepping away from like the Victoria's Secret of it all. Totally. And to to harken back to his nostalgia, like it was probably refreshing for a lot of straight guys to be like, oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> breathe out a sigh of relief. Like this is the good stuff. Yeah. This is what I've been missing. Now I think we, to watch the film, it's kind of low. Like what a moment in time. Yeah. To like celebrate excess and yeah. capitalism in this way. That's like so outright. Exactly. And then in the end, obviously she's like not really rewarded for her beauty. Their entire lives fall apart. But he's, he's bang on with this. And I think why I initially enjoyed this profile it's so interesting to hear you recount it because i'm seeing it in an entirely different light as you walk through it but i think i initially was like oh great like this is a feature story that isn't skeezy that yeah. isn't completely objectifying her isn't saying like her tiny little waist her delicate hands her perfect like golden tresses yeah. yeah exactly and so i was like oh how refreshing but hearing you go through it, I think I'm just finding it a little bit 
gross again, but not for the reason, not from like a sexualization standpoint, just of like a, don't you wish they could all be like this? It's very fun. It's very summertime. It's very... It's been passed through a female editor and, and, and dusted free of any misogyny. Totally. And it's more, I think, celebrating kind of, I don't know, the response that the public had to Margot Robbie, emphasizing that and like, yeah, what a huge moment it was when she walked onto that screen fully naked for all to see. Mm-hmm. And it actually ends on that note. He asks her about the sex scenes of Wolf of Wall Street and the nudity and the the intimacy of it, because there are some like pretty intense sex scenes between her and Leonardo DiCaprio. He asks her, is there any way to prepare? She says, no, tons of people are watching you. He says, were you worried you were not going to be able to do it? She says, there isn't an option. It's just like, this is what you need to do. Get on with it. The sooner you do it, the sooner you can stop doing it. He says, it seems very awkward. It's so awkward. (laughs) Then it sort of ends. Like the last note is, we sat for a moment in silence. She was thinking of something. I was thinking of something else. Then she stood, said goodbye, and went to see a friend across the room. Jerry was right. She looked just like Audrey Hepburn going away. One, I do, because I've like talked to so many intimacy coordinators, this is definitely not how an actor should feel about a sex scene. Yeah. Is like wanting it to stop. Yeah. As fast as possible. And it is interesting that she, like, had that experience and also that he chooses to, like, end on the note. I don't know, like, what the thinking is there. No. Like, this should have been halfway in. Yeah. Like, and off the back of her Wolf of Wall Street success. Like, because she was such a sex symbol, how was doing the sex scenes? Like, that would have been a very natural progression and yeah. jump. To have them kind of chopped out and placed here almost reads as, like we want to keep you in this profile until the very end for what you came here to read. Yeah. And like the fact that her last quote in the profile is it's so awkward. Yeah. That's so fucking weird. I know. I guess he's playing into his thesis of you don't enjoy fame. It's awkward. Maybe I'm reaching and I'm trying to make it make sense. No, I I also don't know why. After I finished it, I like went back and I read the whole thing over again. I mean, I've read it many times at this point, but the ending always The ending always confuses me. And then it's like at the bottom of the page, there's like a behind the scenes of the Margot Robbie cover shoot. You read this and then you just like watch her like rolling around in the sand in her bikini. Yeah. And like the whole thing is like a funny note to end on. I don't quite understand. Yeah. It's very end of Kate Upton era when the male gaze was just at its absolute most rampant Mm -hmm. pre-Trump's America. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Um, totally. It was like, okay, we actually need to protect women and not fetishize the fuck out of them. I'm not quite sure what to make of it because my initial read was, I don't think she had very much to say, but then on second glance, it's more like, I don't think he got very much out of her because he wasn't willing to go there or didn't have the emotional capacity to go there. Because I remember like, do you remember that famous interview with her when the interviewer asked her, do you feel sexy? Obviously because she is such a sex symbol. Yeah. And she says, no, never. Yes. Only when I I play certain characters do I ever feel sexy like I feel regular as as all hell kind of thing she's capable of that and that would have been so welcome in this piece totally in the cover story I would have loved to hear like how she feels about herself what's been bopping around in her head but yeah it's like a lot of her quotes are either about her come up being a neighbor's 
making the transition from soap operas to Hollywood. She does talk a bit about, you know, being so enamored with American culture and watching American movies and TV shows growing up and then moving to America and realizing that America itself is kind of wild. Yeah. You know, he asks her about Harley Quinn. I also thought it was interesting, the Harley Quinn... Uh, Suicide Squad of it all felt like it would be such a natural thing to ask about like mental health because that character though it's a very fun movie it's like she plays a sexy clown but that was a Mm. psychiatrist and that falls in love with her patient Joker that's what I was hoping for I remember when I first read this that I was like oh I wonder what she's gonna like get into Mm. or get in more to I don't know the I'm sure stress of this juncture of like I had a big movie I have two more coming out this summer I'm on the track. I'm on the track. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't push her at any stage um, for anything real. And I think it's interesting that what we've dwelled on the most today or your big takeaway moment or moment that needed further clarification was the tall poppy part. Yeah. Because that's the realest moment in the whole fucking piece. Yeah. That feels like it actually gives you a a look into her psyche in that moment. Yeah. You actually learn something, whereas the rest is kind of Wikipedia recontextualized. Yeah. Yeah. No, the tall poppy really sticks out to me because Mm -hmm. it, 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 not only that you learn something, but you learn something about how her past is influencing her present. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. And like how, where she comes from is playing a role right now in like this juncture of her fame. And I thought that was one of the most interesting bits of this whole piece. Yeah. She, but he doesn't give her room to breathe, especially like, I mean, you've been in those situations when you're meeting someone in a restaurant or a lobby or whatever, it can go either way. But usually it lends itself to being a very intimate experience. It's not over Zoom. It's not on the phone. You're not in the context where we met, which is like a a cattle call of people just getting run in and out of a conference room, 10 minutes, you're in and out. Like this is a Vanity Fair cover story. He got real time and real exposure to a megastar and for kind of, I think this to be all that it is, is so interesting, especially for such a celebrated author. He's a regular contributor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the New York times and the New York, like he's contributed to big places, the Atlantic. um, I'm sorry. No, rich. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, no. But I don't know. I just, I wonder what this story could have been if it was assigned to a woman. Like going back to what we were talking about, the similarity, I would have loved to be in a room with Margot Robbie in 2016, a couple years out of Wolf of Wall Street, like on the precipice of just this, this like like, huge blockbuster summer. Because at this point, I feel like if she had the makings of an A-lister and then she was proving that she like was an A-lister. Yes. And I just like, I have more questions. I leave this profile what it leaves me feeling is like, I have so many more questions about who she is. And I'm so curious because I think I'd like her. I think I'd like her. And I think it's interesting too, that she has chosen a partner now husband who is so not famous when she probably could have had the pick of the litter. I'm sure Leo had a lot to do with her casting and she is like bang on his type and was back then like a 23 year old hot blonde. Like I'm sure there's a lot of. Yeah. And they co-founded Lucky Trap together. Yes. Yeah. yeah he was like an AD on set, right? Yeah. Of one of the obscure little movies she worked on. I know. So even though he kind of proffers the point of like her hating fame, he doesn't unpack it any further 
in terms of the choices that she's made, which is so funny because she explicitly says, if I'd made different choices, maybe it wouldn't be like this. And that's what I think about and dwell on. Mm -hmm. But he could have said, well, you know, you have subverted a lot of Hollywood stereotypes. You haven't dated your leading man. Yeah. You've other than press obligations, you're pretty much out of the spotlight. Like there's really no drama. There's no drama. And there has never been. No. And usually I feel like for a star of this caliber, they're like all over all the tabloids. Yeah, because it is publicity. It yeah. makes them more visible. It makes them more bankable. It sells movie seats. It makes sense for someone to be at every club doing every scrap of press possible at the beginning to then be able to be removed and distant and hating fame. It's funny that she subverted all of that and still has this massive success. But that's, I think, what's missing Yeah, is the why and the how. And I also think it's interesting, one of the reviews of Wolf of Wall Street talked about how she deserved more screen time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's been a like a constant thing in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So many complaints was that she deserved more screen time in that too. Every time she was on screen, it was like, absolutely eye-catching and interesting and they build her as like one of the leads and then in reality she was in like nine minutes of the movie yes yeah um so in some ways i know i Tanya was huge and really like i think showed her range and i mean 2016 showed her range like she played yeah. a war journalist she played harley quinn and she played jane from tarzan that and when point. was focus with will smith oh yeah and i think that was that must have been the year before Yeah, 2015. Right. So she'd already done that. Yes, she'd already done that. And so she's like really proven that she can keep up with the best. Yeah. And honestly, even outshine them in some ways. I mean, at this point, if you had to rate it, zero to Pulitzer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think a six. Yeah, a six. I was going to say a six. Yeah. Okay, I love a callback full circle moment in a profile. No, they're so tasty. It's just my favorite thing to do. And he uses the very last sentence to okay i'm also going to talk about the fact that like he talks about his personal relationship with the producer jerry so this profile is about him as much as it is about margot but he uses that last paragraph to remind us of jerry and inadvertently his connection to jerry because jerry has spoken to him about margot then she stood say goodbye and went to see a friend across the room jerry was right she looked just like audrey hepburn going away I wish he'd brought it back to Australia and America. Me too. And like, so the first line being America is so far gone. We have to go to Australia to find a girl next door. And like when he's referring to America being so far gone, is that because of Trump's election? Like, what is he referring to there? Because she's just another blonde white girl fundamentally. Like she's an incredible actress, but she's a beautiful blonde white girl. Is he saying that there's no hot blonde white girls at home that we need to import them like is he saying that we we have leaned into diversity to the point that it's so refreshing to have (laughs) a blonde blue-eyed white girl back on the screen like I just it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me I have to believe that he's referring to the presidential campaigns yeah the mess of it all but then the presidential campaign was 
run off the platform of the girl next door and the hot blonde white girl and the Ivanka Trump of it all. Like she is that. Yeah. It's not like he's presenting the new incredible new actress of color who has just completely shaken up the industry and upended it. And like, thank God we need it now more than ever. America is so far gone that now we've raised up someone else who actually deserves it because we realize that it's time to do that. Two conflicting ideas entirely. And to see her like (laughs) on a boat in full wasp glory. Yeah, I know. With a striped shirt and white low waist bikini. Yeah. Like climbing up the ladder. Yeah. Yeah. I know. There's a lot of her like in water, getting like doused with water, yeah. wet. American flag. There's a photo. It's like a black and white photo of her showering. It's this one. Wait, show me. Oh my God. It's like, it's, there's an American flag and she's, she's showering, showering off the back of a yacht. Yeah. While the flag billows flags. in the wind in front of her. <laughs> um, so yeah, I know. I also wish that there was a, a neater kind of bow tie with how America is the subject here and how yeah. America needed Margot Robbie to save it. To save it. Yeah. <laughs> and just and just like knowing, like having seen interviews now and knowing who she is and how she doesn't, she doesn't really connect with that beautiful screen siren. This would have been an opportunity to do something so interesting to truly decontextualize her from that and be like, sure, she's very hot, but let's do this crazy shoot where we fuck up her makeup and like all this yeah. kind of stuff. Instead, it's all very neutral tones, navy, red, white, and blue. Like Hampton neutrals. Hamptons neutrals. I-, I agree. And I'm just imagining the Vanity Fair conference room being like, okay, and it's going to be on a yacht. Yeah. And we're going to have Rich and he's going to do something very Americana and it's going to be just in time for the fourth viral. I know. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true. I loved revisiting this point in time though. That was such recent history. Yeah. It felt like the calm before the storm. Very much so. And now we're on a different kind of boat. We're not on a yacht. We're on a rickety, rickety little lifeboat. We are on a rowboat trying to stay afloat. We would love to hear your thoughts as always. If you read this profile, please tell us if you connected with it. Maybe we missed something. Yeah. Um, Maybe it's worth more than a six. I just, I I don't know. I, this one, I, I don't know, but be brutal to us. We want to hear all your hot takes. But also, you know, we are cripplingly insecure. (laughs) Just be be gentle. Be gentle. (laughs) We are the fragile Audrey Hepburns (laughs) that Rich Cohen is speaking of in this Vanity Fair profile. That is us. It's not Margot. No. But we will continue to go behind many media paywalls to bring you the cover stories of yesteryear. We'll be back with many more exciting ones. We will be back. Okay. Stay tuned. Bye. 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 